Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Welcome back to our study of the book of Malachi. Let's begin by doing a little word association. I wonder what word comes to your mind when I say the following, priest, pastor, evangelist, really main characters in church history. Well, when you think of these figures, do you think of words like corrupt, abuser, fraud, or did you think of words like dedicated, sacrificial, wise? You couldn't really be blamed for doing either set, actually. An honest, objective look at key figures within Christianity just has to include both elements of faithfulness and faithlessness. Now, as I'm recording this episode, it hasn't been too long that there's been this contentious issue in the United States about how we remember people in our nation's history. Some arguing that we ought to tear down monuments and others wanting to keep them up. But our nation's history, like church history, has a checkered past. And honesty requires celebrating the good and also owning up to the bad. And when we turn to the pages of the Bible, we find that inspired authors do exactly this thing. So Very often, they recount the past in an extremely negative light. This challenges us to look unblinkingly into the dark realities of the past so we can learn from its mistakes. But, of course, we also need to celebrate the good. In fact, we can go further than that. We also need to be rebuked by the good. We need to hear words like that of the Lord Jesus to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2.5 when he said, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. Now, Malachi does precisely this when he rebukes the priesthood in his first major unit. He has been pretty hard on them. Perhaps someone might conclude that he was being too tough, like, Come on, Malachi, give us a break. These standards are unrealistic. In such a case, Malachi responds by pointing to the past of the priests who did get the job right. These were real human beings with failing flesh like us, and yet they were able to live up to God's standard. So the call to repentance then was within grasp. Now notice how Malachi argues his point by directing his audience to the past as I read our text, Malachi 2, 5-9. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him. Fear, and he feared me, and he was terrified, or one lexicon says, broken to pieces before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and malice was not found in his lips. In peace and in fairness he walked with me, and he turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge." And they should seek the law from his mouth, because he is a messenger of Yahweh of hosts. But you have turned from the way, and have caused many to stagger in the law. You have perverted the covenant with Levi, says Yahweh of hosts. And so I made you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you did not keep my ways, and show partiality in the law, or uh, we could say, did not lift up the face with the law. These five verses fall pretty evenly into two sections. First, Malachi reminds them of the golden years of the priesthood, and in so doing, reminds them of some aspects of what it actually means to be a priest. 
Then, in the last two verses, he transposes this model of priesthood, as it were, onto what was happening to expose how far they had deviated from it. Malachi doesn't leave us any clues as to exactly what time period he's referring to when he talks about these golden years. He does use singular pronouns like him and his, but you know, anyone who's familiar at all with the book of Genesis and remembers the story of the actual guy named Levi, the son of Jacob and progenitor of the tribe, uh, knows that he's, well, a scoundrel. In fact, he's so bad that Jacob's final quote-unquote blessing of his sons talks about Levi's anger along with Simeon and then concludes in Genesis 49.7, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. We talked last in our episode uh, about how this curse and scattering was undone in Mount Sinai which is likely when God made a covenant with this tribe for them to be the priests and is the most likely candidate for the time period Malachi has in mind. Malachi's description of the former state of the priesthood echoes his earlier statements. So in 2.5, we read three times about fear. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him fear, and he feared me, and he was terrified. Now, interpreters are divided as to how to see the first one, It could be the object of gave so that the Lord gave Levi life and peace and fear, or it could kind of stand by itself, syntactically disconnected, which is how I put it. So recall that as early as chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord asks, if I am a master, where is my fear? And it's the same word there in the Hebrew. And the last verb in 2.5, he was terrified. We could translate something like he stood in awe, but this misses something of the vivid language. And, and I noted earlier that one lexicon, actually the Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament, kind of the standard lexicon, defines it as broken to pieces. So be dismayed or terrified. We could go as far as Darby's translation. He trembled before my name. Well, when we think about the establishment of this covenant, we probably could think of Phineas, which is when the language of covenant is used, associated with uh, the priests in in Numbers 25. Uh, If you remember this story, this is when Phineas stops the plague when the people had joined themselves to Baal of Peor by going in and and piercing through this man and this woman and stops the plague because 24,000 people had already died. In light of backgrounds like that, I think we're entirely justified for using a word like terrified. Levi was terrified of God because they knew he was a God of judgment and that moved them to right action. But the golden age of the priesthood is not only characterized by zeal and fear, but also by knowledge. God's intention for the priests was for them to instruct the people and in so doing, turn many from sin. Often we think of the prophets as heralds of God's word. But, you know, the priests had this role as well. For example, Deuteronomy 31 tells us that every seventh year, the year of Jubilee, the priests were to read the law of Moses out loud during the festival of booths before all Israel. Now, back to our text in Malachi, uh, 2.7 says that their responsibility was that the lips of a priest guard knowledge. So uh, they were to be respected and trusted teachers. 
so much so that they, I'm guessing the people, should seek the law uh, from their mouth because they are God's messenger. Of course, it would be kind of anachronistic uh, in the extreme, actually, to think of the ancient Israelite having his or her own personal devotions in the morning, opening up their own personal copy of Torah or something and reading it. The majority of the people would have been illiterate, and a personal copy of the scripture would have been really, really expensive. So the Levites were to go to the people. They were the ambassadors of divine revelation. Malachi emphasizes the importance of this role by calling the priest a messenger of Yahweh of hosts. Now, recall that Malachi, the name of the book and and the messenger, uh, the prophet, actually means my messenger. So this expression describes both the priests and the prophets. Uh, In chapter 3, Malachi will famously describe Yahweh's end times messenger or messengers, Elijah and maybe even the Messiah himself, who will restore the people. So this idea of being a messenger for God is one of the key words of the entire book. People need a messenger. We need someone who will carry the burden of the word of the Lord and deliver it to us. Because God is in a covenant relationship with his people, he won't give up on them. And he has this system in which he speaks to people through intermediaries, whether historically through priests, through prophets, or uh, in the future from Malachi's perspective, eschatological messengers. And this is a solemn responsibility. But the priests have failed to grasp the seriousness of this calling. Instead of turning many from sin, we read in verse 8, But you, and the Hebrew is emphatic there, you turned from the way and caused many to stagger in the law. At this point, I can't help but think of the Lord's rebuke of the Pharisees in 1513 when he says, Leave them alone. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. The result is that the priests have perverted the covenant with Levi. Their lackadaisical attitude and not strictly holding to what the law required by acquiescing to the people's desire, letting them just, you know, do whatever they wanted, was a perversion, a destruction of this holy covenant. Now, the word I translated perverted sometimes does mean destroy. Uh, The Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament describes it this way, quote, the verb signifies an act of ruthless destruction, subjecting the object to complete annihilation or decimating and corrupting it so thoroughly that its demise is certain, end quote. Whoa, that's a pretty strong definition. We discussed in our previous episode the eternal nature of this covenant, that God is rebuking them so that this covenant will continue. That's in verse 4. And even those interpreters who disagree with the future function of Levitical priests should at least see that the temple did continue to operate with God's approval, at least until the time of Jesus. So we shouldn't think of destroyed as if the Levitical covenant was now over and set aside. Instead, what we have here is shocking language to show the people how serious these actions were. Malachi uses the same tactic in chapter 1, where the priests were told, for example, in verse 7, that they had actually polluted God. Well, God wasn't actually defiled. Such a thing is a contradiction in terms. But that's how they were treating him. Similarly, here in 2.8, the Levitical covenant wasn't over, but their actions disregarded the holiness of their responsibility. They had despised God's law, 
So verse 9 says, I made you despised and abased before all the people. They were doing the very opposite of that to which they were called. Uh, The second half of the verse could read, Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways and show partiality in the law, or do not lift up the face with the law. Now, lifting up the face in the Bible is sometimes bad. It can refer to prejudice or bias. But sometimes it's actually a good thing, and it means to bless. The question in Malachi 2.9 is if the text, you do not, governs keep my ways, or also extends to lift up the face. Since Malachi has been using lift up the face throughout as a good thing, like in 1.9, I think it's best to understand the syntax as the latter, so that Malachi is saying essentially, you are supposed to, but you didn't keep my ways, and you do not lift up God's face to be generous to people. There's a word of warning here for all those who teach God's word. It's a serious thing to be a messenger of Yahweh of hosts, to be entrusted with divine revelation. A passive and permissive attitude when it comes to disregarding what God has clearly revealed may seem to some people like generosity or open-mindedness, but actually it's a perversion of our divine trust. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some people who think that they are God's gift to humanity and that their own particular or obscure interpretation must be imposed on everyone. There are pastors and teachers who want to rule like dictators by insisting it's their way or the highway. And while I don't want to empower that kind of thinking, we do need faithful communicators who will say it's either God's way or the highway. The important distinction revolves around the issue of if we're injecting our own opinions into the message, pressing our own particular interpretations when the text is difficult, or if we're being faithful ambassadors of what Scripture actually says. We need to listen with fear and trepidation to the sobering indictment of the priests. You caused many to stumble in the law. You have perverted the covenant of Levi. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.